right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. You glad to be in God's house today? Man, me too. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us online as well. If you couldn't make it in the building today, you know, we only have one service today. And a friend of mine uh, said to me back uh, before I came in here, she said, uh, you only got one service. I said, yeah. She said, don't mess it up. <laughs> Man, the pressure's on now. Pressure's way on. All right. So I'll do my best to not mess it up uh, today. Uh, hey, um, you know, summer is for movies. And uh, this last week, I got to watch the latest Batman, the just re most recent Batman that came out. I've been a Batman fan since I was a kid, and so I, I wanted to see it. And, uh, it, you know, it starts off, Gotham City is in terrible disarray. It is dark. It is terrible. It is dangerous. Crime is unhindered. There is, uh, there's all kinds of violence in the streets. Uh, Gotham is, is corrupt, even at its highest levels. And, and Batman is just trying to keep the city from imploding and he's working really hard and and his motivation you realize early in the film the motivation is vengeance in fact he calls himself vengeance multiple times other people call him vengeance almost as if that's his name and, and so throughout the the movie he comes to the realization that 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 vengeance really cannot change the city, his vengeance cannot change the culture in which he lives. And, and there's this pivotal moment in the film when, when he dives into this uh, abyss of suffering and chaos and it's dark and he lights a flare and, and he gathers the people and he leads them through the water up into the daylight. And it's almost like a metaphor of a change in him. And he gets to the top of the daylight and he's thinking to himself, he said, you know, vengeance cannot change my city. He, he said, there must be a better way. There must be a better way. But then it stops. You know, that, that question continues to echo as the film credits roll. You're almost left going, well, what is it? You know, what is the better way? And I, th I thought a lot about that because, um, you know, how do we engage our culture? And how, what is the better way that we should be using uh, to bring about real lasting change. And what we're going to talk about today is a man that God used, and he was in the worst time in human history. It was the worst of the worst. And yet this one man lit a flare, and he led his own family to safety, and he, he led all humanity into a new day. And that man's name was Noah. All right, so get your Bible out and open up with me. Uh, we're going to look at two places. First, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 7, and then Genesis chapter 6. So either place, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 just super briefly, and then Genesis 6. Uh, we're in our series, Leap of Faith, and we're, we're talking about what does it mean to walk by faith. And uh, we've already kind of seen a description of what biblical faith is, and then now we're going through these different characters that each of these people, men and women, that lived by faith in their time and in their very unique, often very difficult circumstances. So we've already seen a couple of them. We've seen how Abel worshiped by faith, right? We saw that. And then, uh, then we saw how Enoch walked uh, by faith. Uh, but today, what we're gonna look at is how Noah 
worked by faith, all right? So let's look at it, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, only one verse here today, verse 7. And this is the Word of God. Uh, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was yet not seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah is an iconic character. He's a, he's a real person, historical person. But in this list, he's high up on the list, probably because it's somewhat going in order here uh, historically, but he has great faith. And really, the lesson we learn from Noah is that Noah put his faith in action. I mean, it's one thing, and it's an important thing to worship God by faith. It's certainly important to walk personally with God by faith. But, but Noah teaches us that our faith has to take action, that we have to act on our faith uh, to really be a person that walks by faith. And Noah certainly did that. In a very difficult time, uh, Noah walked by faith. And so how did he do that? Well, really to understand the gravity of what Noah did, you got to really back up and understand the story. This Hebrews 11 verse 7 really assumes a lot. It assumes that you already know the story, right? Because it doesn't really tell you the story. It just assumes you know it. So I want us to go flip over to Genesis 6. We're going to camp out here for just a minute. And I want to I take you into Noah's world. Remember, Noah lived it, like Abel, like Enoch, he lived in this, what they called the antediluvian period. It is after the fall, after sin came to the world, before the flood, that's the period of time in which Noah lived. This was Noah's world, okay? And, uh, and, and we know a lot just from Genesis 6 about his world. Uh, number one, we know that it, it was a sexualized world. Look at Genesis 6 verse 1. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. Now, stop right there. Listen, a, a, a ton of ink has been spilled uh, trying to figure out and explain what this verse means, all right? It, it, a lot of Jewish scholars, a lot of Hebrew scholars trying to pinpoint exactly uh, what these two verses actually mean. Uh, so I'm going to give you the super cliff notes version. Uh, most agree that the term the sons of God is a reference to angelic beings. And every time in the Old Testament, both in Job uh, and in other places where it's mentioned, it refers to angelic beings. These, of course, are fallen angelic beings, or we would call demons. And uh, so this, this is a reference to demonic activity that possessed men and these uh, demonized men uh, ravaged women. It's a horrible thought. But when you look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, Jude 6 and 7, you see references to this. And, and this is a reference to Genesis 6, to their rebellion, uh, to how God saw that, to the punishment that came on those demonic beings because of that. And uh, they, this, this sexual perversion is likened to what's happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it, it is clearly a picture of uh, a, sexu a, a, a sexualized world, a perverted world that God saw as completely evil. Not only that, I mean, that would be bad enough, right? That's the world in which he lived. This stuff was going on. Uh, but it was also a very immoral world. Look at verse 5. Genesis 6, verse 5, when the Lord saw 
that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. I mean, you get the picture here? Notice all the, all the words like all and every and nothing but. I mean, this is a sense of a completely immoral culture. I mean, just try to imagine that. There is no moral standard. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no moral standard. There's no justice. There's no love. There's no mercy. There's no goodness. There's no grace. Uh, There's nothing that bends the needle to a true north that that is true. Uh, This was the chaotic, immoral, tumbling, wicked world in which Noah lived. The word wicked there, raw, uh, means evil, misery, distress, chaos. That was really the world that Noah lived in. And, of course, that led to the third thing, a very violent world. Look at verse 11. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with, uh, my version says, wickedness. Uh, other versions, you might look at your version, may say violence. Most modern versions translate violence. The Hebrew word here is Hamas. Does that sound familiar? Literally translated violence. It was a violent world. It was a world where the powerful preyed on the weak, where murder and assault and attacks were commonplace. This was a very dark world that Noah lived in. And this world was so corrupt, it was so debased, it was so wicked, it was so sinful, it was so uh, unhinged that it was really beyond the point of no return. And so God, look down to verse 12. Uh, And God saw how corrupt the earth was for every creature, had corrupted its way on the earth, every creature. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. God was about to judge the world. Why? With a cataclysmic judgment. Why? Because, Because it was so sinful. It was so wicked. It was so beyond repair. That, that, that was Noah's world. Now, by the way, just a little hit, hit the button there, a little side note. Jesus said that when he comes again, that the world's going to be very similar to that of Noah. In, in Matthew uh, chapter um, 24, he said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So somehow the the world is going to trend even greater and greater to that degree. In fact, the Apostle Paul kind of warned us about that. He gave us a little description what it's going to be like at the end of time. He said in 2 Timothy 3, he said, but I know this, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, uh, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. That's what it's going to be like when Christ comes again. And, and I tell you what, you don't have to watch the news very long or check on your phone very long to see that we're, we're trending toward the days of Noah. Are we not? 
I mean, I think on a day like today when we're celebrating our freedom, it's a bit of a wake-up call for us to realize that we're leaning toward those days. We see it ever increasing. Even last night in our local community, there was gunshots ringing out and officers down. This is a common thing now, a sexualized culture, over-sexualized culture. We see a... a Violent, uh, violence increasing. We see a, a sense of upside down moral compass. And so really the question is, you know, Noah lived in a day like this, but it was even worse than our day. But how should we live in this kind of day? How do we deal with this? Well, in the midst of all of this, God chose a man. God chose one man. Look at verse 8. It says, and Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries, and Noah walked with God. Listen, here, here's a great, uh, a great thing, good news for us. Whenever it seemed like it can't get any worse, right, God always chooses a person to use. God is always looking for someone that he can see whose heart is toward him that he can use to bring about uh, either reformation or that God can use them to point people in darkness uh, to light every single time. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles 16, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Even now, God is looking. Even now, God is searching to see, is there anyone whose heart is fully committed to me? Because if there is, I'm going to move toward that person, that man and that woman. I'm going to use them even in, as it grows darker and darker, their light can shine brighter and brighter. And in that day, it was one man named Noah. Can you imagine the only guy on planet Earth? <laughs> the only one. The only man that was blameless who had a heart for God. And God gave Noah a job. God gave him a job. In fact, look at it, verse, uh, verse 14. Uh, he said, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. All right? He says, all right, Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a, a box. That's what ark means. Ark means box. I want you to make a box. All right, God, I'll make a box. How big a box uh, do you want? Well, I want a big box. In fact, I want a box that's about a football field and a half long. I want a box about four stories high. And I want a box that could carry about 522 boxcars. That, that's a pretty big box. I, that, I would say that's a Texas size box. Amen? That's a big box. He's like, whoo, God, I don't know that I've ever seen a box that big. I've never even heard of it. I mean, can you imagine? God giving Noah this command to build this thing. They're not on the coast. There's no ocean to be launched into. There's no, there there's, has not been any rain. Uh, there's never been a, such a flood that he can imagine. Why in the world would he do this? I mean, imagine the courage it would take uh, for Noah to go out with the axe over his shoulder and start cutting down wood and uh, dragging stuff out and preparing it and going over. Hey, Noah, what, what you building? I'm just building a big old box. God told me to build a box. And you know what they're thinking, right? Woo! Noah's really lost it. Crazy Noah. 
whacking off, man. He, he is totally lost it now, man. He is not so crazy. I mean, can you imagine the harassment that he received uh, just because he was doing what God told him to do? Made absolutely no sense. Imagine the perseverance it took to do it day after day after day. Scholars are unclear as to how long it took for the ark to be built. I've heard as many as 120 years. I've heard as little as 75 years. Somewhere probably in between is probably right. Uh, But that's a long time to be building this project over and over and harassment every single day. And he doesn't even understand the full picture. Can you imagine what great faith it took to trust God even when you don't understand? God, how am I going to steer this thing? God, is this thing really going to float? God, what am I going to do with this thing? God, where will this land? God, what will, it, what will you do? Uh, he doesn't fully understand the big picture. All he understood was that God told him to do what? Build a box. And he did it. He built a box, right? And Noah began to be obedient to the Lord. And that's why I love verse 22. Jet, jet your finger down to verse 22. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded What great faith. What great faith. He did everything God commanded. How should we engage our culture today? As we live in a day that's looking more and more like Noah's day. How do do we, as, and I say we, I, I talk about followers of Jesus Christ. How should we engage our culture? Historically, Christians have engaged the culture in one of four ways. One is uh, isolate. Some people just say, you know what, I'm out. I'm just going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to isolate as much as possible. I'm going to circle the wagons, and I'm not going to engage the culture at all. Some people isolate. Other people imitate. That is, they just kind of go along with the culture, and they look more and more like the culture, and there's no real distinction between them that follow Jesus and those that don't follow Jesus because they have so been assimilated into the culture that there is no difference. A third one is what I would call irritate, all right? And that is that we're going to seek to bring about change oftentimes by force and irritation, all right? We're going to make this culture uh, different. We're going to force this culture to be different. Um, And then, of course, there is a fourth approach historically to how Christians impact culture, and that is what I would call infiltrate, infiltrate. And I really believe this is what Jesus called his disciples to do. Think about Jesus. He was living in a very oppressed culture, a Roman oppression, all kinds of immorality, all kinds of brutality. He lived in a very difficult time as well, and yet he called his disciples to infiltrate the culture with the gospel. He called his disciples to be, think about these word pictures Jesus used. He used the word like salt. All right, you're like salt of the earth. And, and, and as you go into the culture, as you infiltrate the culture, you're bringing the salt that will preserve the truth and bring a flavor of, of hope to a very decaying culture. You are the salt of the earth. He said, you're like light in a dark world, and when you put your light on a stand and you don't hide it, that that light displaces the darkness, and and all of a sudden people can see and understand the truth because you are the light of the world. You're to infiltrate the darkness with your influence. Another occasion, he said, you're like leaven that works through the dough, and just like leaven just kind of quietly, silently works and changes the dough from the inside out by permeating every part of it. That's what you're to do. You're to infiltrate the culture with the gospel and bring change and reform from the inside out, not from oppressed on the outside in. This seemed to be Jesus' strategy for cultural change. He said, you are to be so different that you will bless those who curse you. 
and you will pray for those who hurt you. And you will do good to those that hate you. And you will be so radically different that they will have no other choice but to understand the difference, the radical difference of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that was Jesus' uh, strategy for transformation. Jesus understood what we need to understand. Here's the one main point I want you to get today. All right, one thought. This is a one-point sermon. You said, well, it feels like a lot more points than that already. Uh, but... This is it, all right? Here it is. We're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, the most powerful force for change is a gospel shared in love. Do you agree with that? The most powerful force for change in our culture is the gospel shared in love. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not sharing the gospel. Why? It's the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes I'll never forget talking with a man who was in student work in South America during a time when liberalism was really taking root and becoming very attractive on college campuses. And uh, he said there were so many students kind of leaning that direction and uh, very idealistic, uh, idealistic kind of mentality. I said, well, what did you do? He said, we just preached the gospel over and over and over and over and over. He said, we did not debate politics. We preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, because we believe that when the gospel of Christ is put up against any failed ideology, the gospel always looks more attractive. He said, we preach the gospel. So how do we bring about change in our world? Well, we infiltrate the world with the gospel. Only the gospel heals. Only the gospel forgives. Only the gospel unites. Only the gospel restores. Now, you might be thinking at this point in the message, uh, okay, Craig, well, how, what, what does that have to do with Noah? I thought we were talking about Noah, and you got off on the gospel, and what does that have to do with Noah? Oh, let me, let me tell you, I'm going somewhere, all right? Somebody give me an amen. We're going somewhere. All right, here we go. Here's Noah. We're talking about Noah, and then we're here, we're talking about the gospel is what brings about change, and you're going, well, what do these two have in common? What I want you to understand is that Noah is a picture of the gospel. The Noah is a picture, is a type of Christ uh, in the Old Testament. Noah is not about, you know, drafts on a boat, right? I mean, you know, the little kitty toys with the little Noah's Ark. We miss the whole point. The whole point is that Noah is a picture of a Savior who saves from the wrath of God, and that is Jesus Christ. The ark is a picture of the gospel. You don't believe that? I don't have time to look at it, but just go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, and you'll see it. Peter alludes to that very thing. Just as the ark preserved Noah's family uh, from the wrath of God and saved them, so Christ came to us and he preserves us from the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin and allows us to be saved. That's why he's called a savior. Right? Just as the ark went through the water and led them to a new day and a new start, that as you profess your faith in Jesus Christ and, you come, and you're baptized, we celebrate baptism, not that it saves you, but it's a declaration that your hope is in Jesus. Through that, you, are, you, are in a, you become a new person, right? The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. So, so Noah is really about the gospel, 
Noah, Noah put an ax over his shoulder on his day and he went to work on his ark. And today what we do is we put our Bible on our shoulder and we go to work and we infiltrate our culture where God has us and we become salt and we become light and we take the gospel right where we are. That's how change happens. That's the lesson that we learn from Noah. In fact, it's quite interesting. Remember it says God told Noah to cover the ark with pitch, right? Remember that? You know, it's kind of a tarry sealant that, you know, on the outside and the inside so it doesn't leak, right? Did you know that word pitch is the, the Hebrew word kafar? It, it appears 102 times in the Old Testament. I'm going to geek out on you for just a minute, but I think it's kind of cool. 102 times in the Old Testament this word appears. Did you know that 73 times it is translated atonement or or covering. Ten times it is translated forgiveness. I mean, just, just the, the sirens are going off that the gospel is, is seen in Noah. And the ark is a picture of Christ. And just as Noah was devoted to his work on the ark, we, as followers of Jesus, are devoted to bringing about change as we infiltrate our culture with the gospel. You go, okay, Craig, I got you. I got you on that. I'm with you. I'll even amen you a little bit on that. All right? I'm with you. But what does that really mean? (laughs) What does that really look like? How do do I go about doing that? Give me me some practical stuff. All right? You want some practical stuff? Let me give you really quickly uh, five things. All right? Wait a minute. I thought you said you only had one point. All right? These are sub points. All right? (laughs) Five things really quick. I'm going to just hit them really fast. Number one, how do I do this? How do I, how do I infiltrate my culture? How do I take the gods where I am? What, what does it mean for me to work to bring about change in our culture today? Number one, cultivate your own personal walk with Jesus. Noah walked with God. So you need to do the same thing. You got to cultivate your own personal walk with Jesus. Sylvester Kirkmary suffered greatly under the Russian regime in the 1950s. He was a follower of Jesus Christ in prison for his faith. And he said the only thing that got him through these long stints in prison, the only thing that uh, took him through and carried him through the tortures that he endured under the Soviets and under totalitarianism in those days, as he said, it was his own personal walk with God. That he had born again, he had given his life to Christ, he'd been discipled by a man that taught him how to walk with God. And when he was in those long prison cells and when he was in solitary confinement for, for, for days and days and days, he would break up his day into certain time periods in which he would, he would memorize scripture and recite them out loud over and over. Then he would have periods of worship and then he would have periods of prayer. And then when he could get out and if he did make contact, with somebody else. He was encouraging them in their faith and in their Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that over and over. And he said, that is what gave me the strength to endure what God had me to endure. Listen, where you will find your greatest strength, where your family will find its greatest strength is pressing in to know and follow Jesus. You know what? You know the reason why we have that in our mission statement? Because that's what we need to know and to follow Jesus, especially in days like this. Number two, Uh, Develop a sense of urgency. No one knew the clock was ticking. We need the same sense of urgency. Just as Psalm 90 verse 12 said, teach us to number our days. We need to say, God, help me to have a sense of urgency. When I go to my office, when I go to my neighborhood, God, help me to have a sense of urgency to do what you want me to do because we don't know how much longer we have, right? We don't know when Christ is gonna return and we don't know when we're gonna die and go to heaven. And I guarantee you, one of those two things is gonna happen. It's gonna happen sooner than you think. 
And, and so give us a sense of urgency to live for you, God, and to fulfill your purpose. Number three, discern truth from error. Noah had to constantly distinguish between what did God say and what does my culture say? What does God say and what did my culture say? Jesus taught in a very particular way. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say. He used that formula multiple times in, in, in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, but I say. So listen, we have to do the same thing. What's our culture saying? What are we getting on TikTok? What are we getting on Instagram? What, what are we hearing? What's the mantra we're hearing from the corporate down? What is it that the world says? Okay, now, what does Jesus say about that? What does God's word say about that? And as you speak into your children, you're constantly drawing the contrast of this culture versus the kingdom of God. That is an absolute necessity if you're going to survive in the days of Noah, to discern truth from error. Number four, to extend grace in the face of hostility. You're going to have to extend grace in the face of hostility. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Really, this whole thing of this, this opposition to, to Christianity, the opposition to the gospel, is not really about you, okay? It's not about you. This is, this is a spiritual resistance to Jesus himself. And we're living in a day of a spiritual battle. And so you need to be ready to face opposition with grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness in such a way that is so different and stark in contrast to the world that people say that person is different. I can never act like that. I can never respond like that. Let me give you one last one. And that is just endure suffering. It's not something we want to hear, but it is something we need to do, be prepared to. Peter, writing to Christians in very difficult time, very dark time, he wrote two books, First and Second Peter, to which the theme of suffering is all throughout. And I just want to read this one little section. He said, you rejoice in this, speaking to Christians, you rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you were not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. In other words, he's saying, listen, when you, yeah, you're going through it. Yeah, you're enduring. Yeah, things are not fair. Yeah, you're, you're suffering because of your faith in Jesus. But even in that, somehow God is working in your heart. God is perfecting your faith. God is growing you. God is getting glory. People are seeing how you're enduring this. And they're, they're illuminating the gospel. And in some way, God's going to fill your heart with joy that you can't possibly explain in the situation. Listen, you travel around the world and you see Christians all over the world that are under tremendous suffering. Tremendous suffering. And yet when I meet them, you know what I see? Joy. Unexplainable joy. Because they know Jesus and they're walking with Jesus and they're enduring faithfully with Jesus. That's how you live in the days of Noah. That's how you live in our day. Well, let me, let me land the plane here. Go back to where we started, Hebrews 11, verse 7. And I want to show you just the results. If you live this way, what are the results of it? Just very quickly, back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, now skip on down, he built an ark. And look at what it says he did. He, as he built this ark, there were two results. 
He built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah built this ark. And as he built his ark, he, he delivered his family. Literally, right? Literally, his family got on the boat, right? He saved his family. Noah lived a life that they could follow, they could emulate. And then he led them into the boat, Listen, the same thing is true with you. If you will live this way in the days of Noah, in our day, if you will live this way, if you will seek to infiltrate and share the gospel, if you'll live out these things that I've just unlisted here for you, if you will do that, then what will happen is the impact will be seen in your own family. Listen, dads, the greatest thing you can do to help your kids walk with God is to live like Noah. To, to, to prioritize the gospel, to infiltrate your area with the gospel, to walk with God on your own, to be, to be willing to suffer if need be and, and be willing to be gracious and, and all these things, to discern truth from error, to live like that before your family and they will see your example and then you can lead them to Christ and the gospel. That's how you deliver your family. And boy, we've got to do that now, even in our day we have to be very intentional how we live uh, to share the hope of the gospel, even with those that live under our roof. They need to see it in you, that that's how you were changed, and they can be changed as well. So he says the result is he delivered his family. But another thing it says that his actions condemned the world. What does that mean? That means that every time Noah got up there and started hammering on that box, and he was preaching as he hammered because Peter tells us he was a preacher. I think he was a fiery preacher. That's what I think. All right. He's got one sermon. The rain's coming. That's his one sermon. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. He's just preaching, right? But as he did this and as he lived a godly life, uh, he made the truth of God clear, even if they rejected it. Listen, it's not your job to get people to come to Christ. It's just your job to lift up Christ. Listen, the truth is, lean into me now. The truth is, you are the Noah for your, your workplace. You are the Noah for your neighborhood. You are the Noah for your ball team. You are the Noah for your, in your friend group. You're the, some of you, you're the Noah in your family. And as you witness to Jesus and what he has done in your life, you lift up the truth that gives him an opportunity to respond to our Savior. So don't back away from that. My big prayer for today, for our nation, my big prayer for us as a church family is that God will raise up Noah's, right? Men and women that walk with God. Men and women, as the culture gets darker, will shine brighter. Men and women that will go to work infiltrating where God has placed them and taking the salt and the light and the leaven of the gospel and making Jesus great so that people will turn to him and be changed. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. There are really two, two responses to this message. One is maybe you're a Christian 
and this message is, is an encouragement for you to even be more bold and to have more intentionality and have a more sense of urgency to really live for God in this day and in this time. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you will just in these moments, just renew your heart to say, God, I wanna be Noah in my time. I wanna be a man that you see whose heart is committed to you that you can use and you put me in that office, in that place, on that campus, in that relationship for a reason and to be bold like Noah was bold, to walk in faith as Noah walked in faith. But there's another person here and that, this is the person that's not sure if they know Jesus. And this message really is a reminder that God has provided a savior for you. The Bible tells us all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we can see it all around us. We see the days of Noah encroaching, the shadow crawling out over our time. And if you look inside, you see that your own heart is full of sin and wickedness just like all of ours. Every single one of us are sinners at the core. And we need a savior, we need forgiveness. And how do we find that? We find that in Jesus. because. God chose not to bring judgment, but he sent his own son, Jesus. And Jesus came and he went to a cross. And on the cross, he bore all your sin, all the things you've done wrong, all the payment for the things you have done against him were, were on the back of Jesus. And when Jesus died on a cross, he was dying in your place. That's how much he loves you. He died for your sin. He rose again from the dead. Three days later, he offers forgiveness, a covering an atoning sacrifice. He offers this for you. A new start, a new day, if you'll come to him. So maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not sure if I, I don't know if I'm in Christ, but I want to be. Then I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I'm going to invite you to respond to Jesus in faith, just like Noah, to respond in faith. So everybody's heads bowed. If you're here today, you say, I'm unsure of my walk with God. I don't know if I die today, I go to heaven, but I wanna know. I wanna be right with God. I wanna be in Christ. I want my sin forgiven. I wanna live for Jesus. Then just with your head down, just lift up your hand. And as you lift up your hand, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not gonna call you out, but I will see your hand as an act of confession of your need for the Lord and I'll lead you right where you are in a simple prayer to pray to receive Christ right where you are all right thank you thank you all right anybody else pastor pray for me I need Jesus I want to be right with God just lift up your hand where I can see it all right thank you I see it thank you anybody else pastor pray for me I just I want to know for sure that I'm right with the Lord anybody else Okay, all right, thank you. All right, put your hand down. Just pray this simple prayer with me, just right where you are. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you and I know I have gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me and I believe he rose again from the dead and I believe he is my only hope so Lord, I'm coming to you. Please forgive me 
please wash me clean? Lord, I pray that you would make me a new person and that I would live all my days for you. Thank you for your love for me. Father, I thank you for your word today. Uh, A poignant word, a special word on this special day. And Lord, I pray that, that as we leave, that we would, God, you would send us into all the places that you've that you've ordained us to be in our neighborhoods and both uh, clubs and in our offices and our schools and and our friendships and all these places that you've scattered us, God. We pray that we would be salt and light, Lord, that we would hold up that flare of the gospel and that, God, we would see a change one life at a time. Lord, I pray for renewal in our country. God, I pray for spiritual awakening in our country. God, I pray that you'd raise up men and women as you did in the days of Noah that love you and cry out to you. And that God, you would pour out your spirit in a way that people's hearts run to the gospel of Jesus. Oh Lord, bring about a renewal and awakening in our time. Lord, we cry out to you for that. Only you can give it. And Lord, use us in these days. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, can we thank God for his word today?